0: A month ago, a grandmother brought her grandson to this church. They were both here for the very first time. And she came to the service, and he went to Rock City. It all seemed so simple. It all seemed so predictable. And yet within 24 hours, they discovered how life-changing And how amazing that moment had been to them. I'll tell you that story today. Who's radically honest with you? Without people who are radically honest with you, you will never live the life that you were destined to live. You will never get a hold of your real life. You'll just kind of float along. You'll you'll be thinking that you're, you're on track, you'll think that you have the right thoughts, but it takes radical honesty to make life really work. The other day, I found myself in a moment where radical honesty was required. Up at Hilltop, something stupendous happened. It was almost like a miracle. We got a new place for hamburgers, Five Guys. And Five Guys, Five Guys just gives you like a good burger and you can put anything on it you want and French fries and there's free peanuts. That's all you get. You can't ask for a salad at Five Guys. They don't do salads. You can't ask for shrimp cocktail at Five Guys. They don't do shrimp. They don't do anything except burgers and fries. And one of our very own special spring branchers works there. His name is Connor Clark. And I've known Connor probably from the time he was born, and Connor's there, and he's smiling, and he's a, he's a happy camper, and he, he just, he loves it's his first job, and so I'm in there, and Connor's there, and I'm talking to Connor, and, and he's working, and he's kind of sweeping up, so I, I tore up my, my my bill, and I threw it on the floor so he'd have more work to do, and he said thank you, because he's smi- he's always smiling, he's always happy. So while I was waiting for my burger to show up, there was a woman who was there, and she was at the, the ketchup dispenser station, And she was like pounding, pounding, pounding. And she was getting just a couple of drops of ketchup out. And then she went to the other station. She's pounding, pounding, pounding. She got maybe two more drops of ketchup. So she's got this pitiful cup, little plastic cup, with about five or six drops of ketchup in it. And I see her dilemma. And I see what's happening there. And I rise to the occasion. And I say, ma'am, I'm going to take care of this right now because I know somebody who works here at Five Guys. And I look across the restaurant, way across. And there's Connor. I said, Connor... Connor, we are out of ketchup. And so Connor goes running back in the back. He comes out with the ketchup. He puts the ketchup in place. But here is the radically honest truth Connor, it's not enough to be smiling. You're on ketchup surveillance 24 7. You have got to be watching the ketchup thing. You've got as soon as it runs out, you got to get there. Mothers and babies are depending upon you. Fathers are sitting at home waiting for their ketchup laden burger to show up. If there's no ketchup, there's no real five guys experience. Connor, stop smiling. Do your job. <laughs> so I get to I get to Italy and we're staying at this hotel. And at the hotel is also staying the president of Argentina. You see, it is the 150th anniversary of the Italian Republic. And so there are dignitaries from all over the world. And I didn't know anything about this. I just get there, there's all kinds of secret service people out in front of the hotel. There's all kind of guys with the things in their ears and they're all in suits and they're all running around. It was the, the Italian police were there. Everything was happening. So in the morning, I go out in front of the hotel and I'm sort of hanging out. All of a sudden I realize I'm looking like a nefarious character. You know, these people watch the reruns of The Sopranos. I look like one of these American Sopranos. And so the police came over and they they asked me for ID. I had left my passport up in the room. I didn't really have good ID. So they're like, uh, and I don't speak, I'm not fluent in Italian. So there's a little moment when I think, you know, I'm just going to the Italian Who's gal for the rest of the trip. (laughs) But then they they figured I couldn't be be too bad, and and I'm I'm from, my family's all from Italy anyway, so I made friends with these two guys, and and they let me go. But here's the radical truth. Here's the radical truth. Michael, you're not the Italian Jason Bourne. You're not over there trying to, like, you know, jump across buildings and make things happen. If they do make a movie of me as Jason Bourne, it would be called The Bourne Bolognese. The Bourne Bolognese, because I'd be looking for the best bolognese sauce in Italy. Radical truth is demanded by life, and you don't want it, do you? I don't, I don't want it. I don't like it. It's hard, but radical truth is demanded by life if you're really going to have a life, if you're really going to have the life that God wants you to have. Leonard Sweet has written a tight little book about the value of God-grounded relationships. The 11 biblically defined relationships you need on your life's journey are right here. He writes, journey or arrival, result or process, either or, both and. The deeper I go into my spiritual life and the more years I use up, the more important finishing and finishing well become. Disciples of Jesus are finishers. You might call the gospel a theology of journey. The real meaning of life is not a journey question or an arrival question. It's a relationship question. Your journey and your destination are both important, but neither is possible without an answer to this prior question. Who do you have with you? We can't get to our destination without the help of others. And so the 11 relationships Sweet brings to us are the team of people we need to journey in life with. And I will cover uh, six or seven of these uh, all the way through the month of July. If you'd like to, to go on this journey with me, you can pick up one of these books today. Let's talk about the first person. The first person who's represented by these words, this question who's radically honest? with you. Adam's message last week set this up. Actually, the radical truth is Adam's message last week stole my message this week. You know, I try to bring the kid along. I try to help him. I try to get him through seminary. He gets up here, steals my message. Welcome back. Okay, so so I'm going to ground everything I say this morning And the concept of Nathan, because if you were here last week, you're already up to speed on Nathan and the story and David and all that good stuff. I'm going to ground everything I say this morning in a passage from the New Testament. I told her, I said, don't worry, don't worry. Just do whatever you need to do. I'll be okay. And God gave me Ephesians chapter 4. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Key words there. The calling. Your life is different. You're different than, than other people. You're different than people who just get up and go through the motions. You're different than people who get up and do what they want to do because they have vision that, that, that encompasses their life for themselves or they have goals that are about who they are. You are different and Paul indicates this difference for the church by saying, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And you don't understand Christianity and you don't understand the Christian life and you might not even understand your walk with Christ until you understand that it is something you have been called to. Be completely humble and humble gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In those words, you sort of hear echoes of 1 Corinthians 13. It's about love. It's about patience. It's about walking with each other in the unity of the spirit. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. What was the hope that you were called to when you were called? It's the hope of eternal life. You don't see it. It's hard to understand. But you know that it's true because of what Jesus Christ did. You know that it's true because of what he said. And so you hang on that. You live embracing that hope. Hope You were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul's saying, you know who's in charge, don't you? It's not you. You're called. And you're called to do what God needs you to do on earth as it is in heaven. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. See, that's one of the one of the key things that sometimes gets turned around and, and turned upside down in the life of churches. Sometimes it seems that because men and women go to seminary and men and women are trained, and and, and we have um, Abilities to teach. It seems that, well, as you watch what's happening right now, it seems like, well, there he is. He's doing the ministry. There he is. He's up there talking to us. There he is. That, this, is, this, is this is what ministry is. And it's not. It's not. And Paul says it's not. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Here's ministry. To prepare you for works of service. To help you Be equipped to do what God needs you to do, what God wants you to do, what God can't do without you. And what is passionate on my heart is that you will be fully equipped to do what God has called you to do, what God has called us to do. I often remind staff members when we have conversations about what I try to do that I'm just, I'm like the coach that, you watch baseball games on TV, and the coach is sort of at the top steps, whether it's Tony La Russa, whether it's Joe Girardi or any other manager, he's at the top of the steps and he's, he's watching. He's trying to get the right players in the right positions to get the maximum maximum impact to win so that we can all win. And that's what God's called me to do, to get each and every one of you in the right place for the right reason, the right gifts. The right strategic impact so that we win what God has called us to win. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. We are the body of Christ. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, Jesus, and become mature So maturity is a goal. It's it's making the right decisions for the right reasons at the right times for what God's trying to do in us and through us, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We're called to something that's so big, it's bigger than all of us combined. And yet God's asked us to to steward this, to hold this together. And then he, he gives an image of an infant then we will no longer be infants. In other words, you know, at one point, guys, you were kind of babies. You were thinking like babies. You were, you were acting like babies. You see how, how there's certain themes in what Paul writes and, and how he teaches? And he talked about that again in 1 Corinthians 13, how when he was a child, he spoke as a child. He, he reasoned as a child, but then he had to give up childish ways. Same theme is right here. There was a time when we thought only about ourselves and we were tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. What if you tried to, to live your life according to the latest headlines? What if you tried to live your life according to breaking news. Your life would be all over the map. Paul says, you were called. This is different. Your life has to be grounded in something that is strong, that's going to last forever from him. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. And there it is, the radical honesty. Instead, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth of what God has called us to, speaking the truth of what we're doing with our lives, speaking the truth about the importance of the church in the world, speaking the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him. That's the maturity theme again, who is the head that's who's in charge again. That is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Remember when Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, part from me, you can do nothing. And so Paul picks up on that idea and he says, it's all being done by him and he's knitting us all together and you've got to do this by being humble and gentle and patient and bearing with each other in love you've got to recognize your calling you don't want to be like a little kid who only wants what he wants to make himself feel better you have to be you have to see something that's bigger you have to understand what this means for all of us together grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. In other other words, each and every one of us has a part. Each and every one of us has something that if we don't do, if we don't accomplish, the whole work is, is somehow put in jeopardy. Sweet writes, a Nathan is not someone who rushes to tell you the truth and often We think about that when we think about radical honesty. Sometimes we want to be radically honest with people because we want to bring them down. Or we want to point our finger and say, you said you were going to do this, but you did that. And we want to accuse. But that's not what we're talking about. Radical honesty always has something different in mind. And Nathan is not someone who rushes to tell you the truth, but someone who helps you to do the truth. The truth about a Nathan is that they're so much more concerned with the future of your life than you can ever realize. Like this man on the bench who calls his friend because he's concerned about the future of his friend's life. But someone who helps you to do the truth. Paul wrote, speaking the truth in love. So let me ask you who's radically honest with you? A Nathan will get under your skin. What makes a Nathan unique in your life is that they are best understood as welcome intruders. But there's a requirement for becoming a welcome intruder, and that requirement is authentic friendship. It's wanting to help somebody do the truth, wanting to help a group of people live the truth, wanting to speak the truth in love with patience and with gentleness. What makes a Nathan unique is that they're best understood as welcome intruders. Welcome them into your life. A Nathan will ask questions. Questions can comfort, challenge, and convict In a world of people who will never look you in the eye, a Nathan looks right through you and calls you to a better way. A Nathan tells the truth. Who else can see faster when you have crossed the line from beguiling to bewildering? When your strangeness becomes estrangement? Who else will tell you that you've crossed that moving line of one thought too many. That's a sweet ism, and I, I really love that because we try to talk ourselves out of things, out of dilemmas and problems, and we try to to, to play verbal games, to, to make excuses. The other day, I hate when this happens. The other day, um, Gail asked me if I had Followed up on a phone call I said I was going to make and and I had forgotten and I said no and there was that sense in the air that something bad was going to happen if you're married you know what that sense is and and uh, you know so I thought I better I have to I have to defend against this and 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 I said. But I have been doing so many things and, and I'm so busy right now. And, and, and she said, You've been having lunch every day? Oh, the dagger of lunch. It just kills me. But she's right. I have lunch every day at Five Guys. I see Con- Connor and I are now in a. Deep discipleship program. Because <laughs> we see each other so much. We pray together and you know, we're like buddies. Um, you know, A Nathan tells the truth. You know, and we want to make excuses and no, it doesn't work that way. A Nathan inspires in you the virtue of resilience. This is the, the, the positive side. This is sort of the upside of what Nathans will do. They inspire in you the virtue of resilience, the ability to bounce back from adversity. They want you to bounce back. They want you to do the truth, to live in the truth, to let the truth live through you. Sweet, writes, So Nathan isn't someone who rushes to tell you the truth but someone who helps you to do the truth. This is a person who believes in you and wants the best for you. Even when he or she shows up at the door with a sword, we all need a Nathan. So where is there a radically honest person in your life? Who is that? Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. Today, I will be a Nathan. I will get under your skin. I will ask questions. I will tell the truth. And I hopefully will inspire the virtue of Resilience. I have seen the future. And I can tell you what it looks like. It looks like empty churches that people just wander into and walk around. Churches that have become museums. Churches where the art is beautiful and the crosses are big and the candles are lit and people wander around going, Gee, there must have been a time, a long time ago, when people thought a lot about God. I wonder who God is. I wonder if there even is a God. It's empty churches where people have choir practice on Sunday morning and nobody shows up for church. It's empty buildings that have become museums where people go to look at the grandeur of Michelangelo and they don't understand what that grandeur is pointing to. It's pointing to a person. It's pointing to the one who gave his life for you, who died for you, so that you could have the kind of life that you want to have. I've seen the future. I was just there. And it's glorious, and it's magnificent, and it's vacuous, and it's empty, because people aren't following the one in all of the pictures. People aren't following the one who is holding the cross. People aren't following the one who is laying in his mother's arms in the Pieta. People have let it go. I asked my driver, Leonardo, in Rome, if he went to church. And he said no. And I said, why not? He was showing me the Vatican. He was showing me the glory of Of glories, all these things pointing to the one who changed the world. I said, Why not? He said, I sleep. I sleep. And you know why he sleeps? Because somewhere a long time ago, people stopped knowing they were called. Somewhere, someplace, hundreds of years ago, people stopped understanding what the church was supposed to do and what the church was supposed to be and how clergy weren't supposed to control everything. They were supposed to equip people to do ministry and how the church was supposed to go out and change the world and feed hungry people and clothe naked people and understand that we can't do anything without him. I've seen the future. And it is magnificent. In all of its emptiness. And I don't want that for you. And so I am called today to be Nathan. I am called today to say, we have to do this together. Don't wait. Let's get this done together. All of us. In all of us. One church. One vision. Getting this done. And we will have something so much better than here. We will have a there where God creates ministry and mission that goes beyond your wildest dreams. But he can't give it to us unless we receive what he wants to give to us. And so a month ago, a grandmother comes in with her grandson and she is ready to come to the service and she takes him to to Rock City. He's 10 years old. His name is Malik. And she is touched by the service. It was the Memorial Day service. And Malik had a great time in Rock City. And they're out in the car, and they're driving home. And Malik says, Grandma, Grandma, today in Rock City, we learned about prayer. And and I was surprised to know that a lot of kids pray about McDonald's. But our teacher said, we should pray about something all the time. And his grandma felt good in her heart that he had learned that lesson, that he should pray about something all the time. And so on Monday, he was at the beach with his father, and they were playing football, and he was out in the water, and he lost his footing, and he went under, and the undertow started to to pull on him, and he panicked. He started flailing and... And, and trying to stay above the water, and he couldn't. And he was, he was just, as a little boy might do, just his, his arms were groping for something. And then as he was going under, as he was, in his grandmother's words, drowning, he remembered what he learned in Rock City. And he became still, and he just started to pray. And a few seconds later, the lifeguard got to him, pulled him out, pumped water out of his lungs. And he said, Grandma, I was just there and I thought I was going to drown, but I remembered to just be still and to pray. And so his grandmother told her sister that. stopped fighting and started praying, and she wrote this. Stop fighting. Start praying. We go through our daily routine and we encounter fights all day. Fight to get out of bed. Fight to face another day at work. Fight to get bills paid. Fight traffic. Fight tears. Fight depression. Fight the supervisor. Fight each other. There is always a fight, but it's not so much the fight as it is how we fight. A very special 10-year-old as a message for us, stop fighting, start praying. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Get still today. Stop fighting and get still. Still your heart, still your mind, and stand back and realize that he, not you, are God. Recognize his amazing strength and power and protection and provision. Recognize that he is king of kings and Lord of lords. And just in case you feel like you can't take another fight and are about to throw in the towel, God's got a word for you as well. Second Chronicles 20, 17 puts it this way. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Take your position, whether it's on your knees or sitting quietly in a chair. Take your position of faith and believe that God will deliver you. Remember, the Lord promised to watch over his word, to perform it if you would just believe it. Ask Malik. He got still, prayed, and believed that his help was coming. The lifeguard and his dad came to his rescue and pulled him out in time. God is waiting for you to believe him to do the same. Thank you, Malik. For a life-changing lesson, stop fighting. Start praying. And so I ask you today, in the humbleness of a Nathan, to pray about your calling, to pray about the future, to pray about what it means to be mature and to be part of a church that has the, the privilege and the honor to make an impact in the world. And if you stop fighting and you start praying, you will know what to do. Who's radically honest with you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we will be your servants. I pray that we will be equipped. I pray that we will do good things that you have prepared for us to do. I pray that we will know Christ deeply and personally. I pray that we would steward the vision and honor the calling. I pray that we would live the life by letting you live the life in us and through us. Father, bless each person here today. Tell them how much you love them. Call them into the the adventure of ministry. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good day and God bless you.